The views and opinions expressed during Eye on the Triangle do not represent WKNC or the student media. Your dial is currently tuned to Eye on the Triangle at WKNC 88.1. Thanks for listening. Good afternoon, Raleigh, and welcome to this week's Eye on the Triangle, a student-run, student-scripted, and student-produced news show on 88.1 WKNC HD1 Raleigh. I'm Aaron Kling. On tonight's set, our very own Benjamin Denton has hit the bricks of North Carolina State University, microphone in hand, to interview our university's clubs, congregations, and cabals. Tonight's order, the English Club and its officer, Andrew McFasian. Join us as they talk writing power of groups in the creative process, and the benefits of putting in hours at the club. Afterwards, we have four stories from the North Carolina News Service. Nadia Ramlagan discusses how conser- conservation groups challenge repeal of Clean Water Act protections and the passing of a bill in North Carolina enabling individuals to revoke the right of consent. 2020 Talks is tracking this year's election process, and Arizona researchers warned that the planet's climate is entering a period of climate emergency. Oof. We'll have all that running for you in just a second. Stretch out those limbs, grab yourself a warm mug of something, and take a listen to Eye on the Triangle. All right, Benjamin Denton here for Eye on the Triangle with our weekly student organization Spotlight. I'm here with Andrew McFadgen, an officer of the English Club here at NC State. Andrew, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Benjamin. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Tell me a little bit about the English Club at NC State, what you guys are about, what you do, and uh, how people could join. Yeah, so we're actually an um, English department-sponsored organization. We're associated with the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. Um, we are basically a group of people who convene every week with a common interest in creative writing and literature. What that usually ends up being is we do weekly uh, creative writing critique groups. People will send in their pieces, be it poetry, prose, short stories, uh, even some screenplays once in a while, and we will critique them over the week and then meet to talk about it. Lately, we've been expanding to do more in the realm of um, creative writing prompts and just general outreach in the broader literary community of NC State. And to join, all you have to do is show up and ask the president to be a part of the mailing list. So, are there any requirements before, like, do you have to be an English major or in CHAS to even join at all? Absolutely not. So, I am actually a business major, and I was president of the English club for the 2018-2019 school year. So, there's no requirements to join. It's just to have an interest in literature. And we ask... For a little bit of participation, we understand that you can't read every single thing that gets sent your way, but to give off the impression that you are here to participate is something that we look for in our members, but there, there's no barrier to entry. Are there any dues or anything to be paid to be a part of the club? No dues. Um, sometimes we will ask for donations for uh, just food for the uh, events, just catering, but um, 
no dues. What is a typical meeting? Like, how long does it run? When and where are they? And, like, what typically... I know you talked about you guys go over the literature, but, like, like on a particular meeting, what, what could happen? Sure. Um, so we meet in Caldwell Hall, which is the English building, uh, every Thursday night around 6. And... It, it's about an hour-long process, give or take, um, and then we will come into the room and we sit in a circle and we kind of just talk about where we're at in terms of our creative process, you know, projects that we've been working on. We find that a lot of people tend to, you know, group off by their interests and talk about that, and we will then begin the formal process of critique. So we take about 15 minutes usually. It varies depending on how many people submitted for that week. But we dedicated usually around 15 minutes per person to just read a little bit of a sample of their chapter or their submission. And we talk about it a little bit and that creates a discussion that hypothetically, hopefully, the writer will find helpful to see how people interact with their literature. And um, are the same people coming every week? And how big is the club? And what's, the, what's the community like? Mm-hmm. So I'm actually incredibly proud of our community. We, um, we've increased membership significantly, especially after um, 2018. We are at about um, 25 plus members that can be expected to show up at any given week. Within that is a core membership, quote unquote, of people who could be expected to be at any given week. Uh, they have th- over three-fourths membership of about um, 10 or so people that we can expect to see every week. So the meetings are typically pretty small. Very, yeah, they're very small. You sh- anywhere, any given 25 people, but you most of the time 10 to 15? Right, yes, but it, it lends itself to the process that we do. Of a really small and a close-knit group. What benefits have you seen like in your either in your writing or in your personal life or being a part of the English club for multiple years now? What benefits have you seen? You kind of touched on it a little bit. Um, just that solidity is just phenomenal. Um, one thing that it's kind of something that a lot of writers miss out on or don't really tap into that's actually very beneficial for their art is having a sense of community, having a group of people that can tell you like what's going on and like what what you can improve on Mm -hmm. and you know what I've noticed in myself is just having that consciousness has been just fantastic for me to just increase the quality of what I put out and also to have all these people that I can bounce ideas off of has been a tremendous boon to me yeah and and again all these people are interested in the same things you are they're both interested in improving their writing and in hearing other people's ideas and helping them out in a very constructive way. Exactly. It's a very symbiotic, you know, productive relationship. Okay. Is there uh, anything else that you would like to add about in- the English Club? Why someone who could be listening right now, why they should consider joining, stop by to see what it's about? Mm-hmm. Um, I think what people won't see from the English Club on paper and need to, and would kind of need someone within the club to tell them is that. The focus on creative writing is pretty nominal at best. We have several um, members, uh, good friends of mine even, that are not only not English majors, they also have no interest in creative writing whatsoever. They just come every week because they like to hang out and they like to talk about these stories. Um, We will, over the course of a semester, we'll go through entire novel-length stories submitted by our members and we'll just 
will become you know fans of their work and we'll have this d- these discussions about it as if we were talking about you know Harry Potter like a it's a very good for our authors and also our readers just to have this sense of community and it's not limited to people who would you know people you would peg as someone interested in writing so what I'm getting is there are members like so you don't even have to really like writing yourself. Absolutely not. I we have engineers, we have animal science majors that have never written anything since you know elementary school. But they like to come and learn about what the other writers are writing. Yeah, about. they like to read. They like to read what other writers are writing. They like to be a part of the discussion groups. To they just like being around the club and being part of the events that we put on. And you got, you guys have food at some of your events sometimes, too, Sometimes. Right? Um, like I mentioned, it's more of a kind of ad hoc. Uh, we'll solicit donations beforehand for special events. Um, we do have, you know, focus days, especially on more of our, like, focus quote-unquote event days. Uh, so for example, on Hall- close to Halloween, we'll do a scary bad writing day where we submit all of our old writing that's all really bad and we'll just read it as if we were actually critiquing it so well and we usually cater for those but from a week-to-week perspective usually there might be some there might be some you know chips or some snack foods do you have a, a favorite uh, memory with of a particular person's story or your own story from english club mm-hmm. of a writing submission or something like that yeah so i'm a little bit biased because i um as when I was president, I led a huge push for membership. So a lot of the people that are in this club, I'll actually, no, all of the people in this club right now are there because of marketing efforts that I initiated. So I'm a little bit biased towards, you know, everyone in this club. But there is this one guy who um, had this, you know, sprawling epic fantasy, this, you know, novel length work that was complete. I mean, it was very obviously written by a guy in college, but it was complete and it had a, an amazing story arc and every week he'd submit a new chapter and we, we would just like watch these like stories of like this all these like fantastical creatures and this like it was, was kind of like lord of the rings you know but a little bit um a little bit more greek focused and it was so original and so interesting just to see it develop and how he caught his stride and you know to, to just to see his face when we're talking about his work is you know just an experience i'll never forget that is pretty cool. Imagine, like, um, Tolkien or someone like that when they were in college, being a part of a club, and you could yeah. have got to talk about their work with them. Funny thing about that is, um, I, I don't know how common knowledge this is outside of people who are really into authors, but Tolkien had something like that. Tolkien and really? C.S. Lewis and some other people who later would come on go on to be writers in the fantasy scene, they were all part of this club called the Inklings. And they just, they did the same kind of thing. They'd send in their stuff and they'd critique each other's stuff and they'd make jokes about each other's works and, you know, have this sense of community. So we're, we're really emulating the greats here, which is why I'm so passionate about it. It's a, having a sense of communities, like I said, is the number one best way to improve your writing to the point where, you know, you can succeed. Yeah, and improving your writing is an extremely valuable skill in the workforce after college as well. Absolutely. Having that, you know, just ability to do written communications and, you know, be able to see, like, um, like understanding your audience, for example, or Mm -hmm. control of tone. I mean, there's, you know, a laundry list of just, I mean, at least in my job, you know, like I said, I'm business IT, and I found ways that English Club has helped me in my work so I mean the, the the benefits are endless so what I'm hearing is helps you writing in your job helps you become C.S. Lewis or Tolkien either one but are, can you promise that for sure 
you can't promise anyone anything, especially with something like that. But I mean, what you what we're doing is we're setting you up so you have the best shot that you can. Because I mean, it comes down to a lottery. You can end up being better than C.S. Lewis. You can end up better than Tolkien. But you may never get noticed just because of the the way the cards are dealt to you. But it will always be worth it because of the community that you guys have here at NC State. Exactly. It's worth it to try, and it's worth it to be a part of the community. All right. I think that's about does it. One more time, the Instagram to plug it for people at the yeah. end. Yeah, at English Club NCSU. No spaces, no nothing. Just English Club NCSU. Caldwell Lounge, Thursday nights at 6 o'clock? Caldwell Building. Building. Uh, yeah, it's a place in call is a room in Caldwell but uh, it's it's posted on our bio or you can DM and the webmaster will get back to you okay well thank you so much for your time Andrew I really appreciate it thanks for having me Benjamin no worries have a good day all right state lawmakers have voted unanimously to close legal loopholes related to consent and sexual assault the loopholes made North Carolina one of the few states in the country where cases of rape that initially began with consent or that involved voluntary use of alcohol or drugs could not be prosecuted. Investigative reporter for Carolina Public Press Kate Martin analyzed four and a half years of state court data on sexual assault defendants. She says what she found was eye-opening. Well, after looking at the data for several months, we concluded that fewer than one in four people charged with sexual assault are eventually convicted. And of those people who are not convicted, the defense might be that the act started with consent. According to the court data, among the approximately 1,000 people charged with sexual assault within that four-and-a-half-year time frame, just 2% were convicted. Governor Roy Cooper is expected to sign the bill. Martin says she spoke with many prosecuting attorneys, who explained how the consent loopholes lessen the odds of bringing justice to victims. I have heard situations directly from prosecutors who said that if a victim came to them and they reported a sexual assault, and they explained the situation that if the act started with consent and ended with, with a withdrawal of consent, that they felt like their hands were tied and they couldn't prosecute somebody. Laura Palumbo with the National Sexual Violence Resource Center says that even in the era of Me Too, there's a gap in the public understanding of what consent means. She says that's because issues surrounding sexual consent are not typically taught in schools or through other types of training. Some of what's most important to understand about consent is that it is something that is time-specific. So you may consent to sexual activity with a partner at a specific time and on another occasion. That does not mean that you've consented to anything in the future, and consent can be withdrawn at any time. Between 2018 and 2019, nearly 25,000 people in North Carolina reached out to a crisis center for help related to sexual assault, according to statistics by the NC Council for Women and Youth. For North Carolina News Service, I'm Nadia Ramlagan. Welcome to 2020 Talks, where we track the 2020 election process from the studios of KHOI in the heart of Iowa. Doing one big Lincoln-Reagan dinner towards the end of the year is also a good way to kind of just wrap it up. And this year, it will kind of serve as an unofficial launch for the 2020 campaign. Iowa GOP's State Communications Director, Aaron Britt. On tonight's annual Lincoln-Reagan dinner, the Republicans' major fundraising event, with guest South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham. Obviously, the caucuses in February are going to be a lot more of an official start. That's when our organizing really begins. 
In contrast to the Iowa Democrats' big dinner last week, the Liberty and Justice celebration, there are no Republican presidential candidates attending. Yesterday in New Hampshire, Vice President Mike Pence denied an anonymous claim that he would have joined in calling for the removal of the president if a majority of cabinet members had agreed. When those rumors came out a few years ago, I dismissed them then. I never heard any discussion in my entire tenure as vice president about the 25th Amendment. Meanwhile, his special advisor for Europe and Russia, Jennifer Williams, complied with a congressional subpoena and answered questions about Trump's July phone call with the president of Ukraine. President Trump was a businessman and TV personality before entering office and capitalized on his, quote, outsider, unquote, status. His primary challengers are still more seasoned. Former governors and congressmen and most of the Democratic frontrunners are in office now or in the past. Yesterday, the New York Times reported that former New York City mayor Michael Bloomberg threw his name into the mix. But there are a couple of political outsiders, too, like entrepreneur Andrew Yang. I am the last type of business person who would say, I'm going to go and run the government like a business because they're very, very different things with different leadership styles necessary. It's actually much more analogous to when I ran a national nonprofit that I'd started where you need to have a vision that people can get excited about and that you can galvanize consensus and energy. And that's the way I would lead as president. So please do not think that Donald Trump reflects all non-politicians because he doesn't. In a non-traditional move, Yang retweeted his fellow non-career politician Marianne Williamson's appeal for funds earlier this week, writing that he hopes America hears her message. But neither of them are getting as much traction as their competition. Yesterday, a group of 100 influential black women and gender nonconforming people who make up the steering committee Black Women For endorsed Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren. The morning after Massachusetts Representative Ayanna Presley's similar endorsement came out in a video, breaking with her close colleagues in the so-called squad who have endorsed Bernie Sanders. You've all heard about the senator's plans, but here's the thing. The plans are about power. Who has it? Who refuses to let it go? And who deserves more of it? For Elizabeth and for me, power belongs in the hands of the people. Thanks to Kevin Bowe from Public News Service for today's Sound from New Hampshire. And from Pacifica Network and Public News Service, I'm Lily Bolke. Thanks for listening. Conservation groups are suing the EPA and the Army Corps of Engineers over the Trump administration's rollback of Clean Water Act regulations aimed at keeping rivers, lakes, and streams pristine. The lawsuit contends the agencies violated a long-standing law that prohibits them from making changes to basic environmental safeguards without giving the public adequate notice and a chance to comment. Jeff Gisler is a senior attorney at the Southern Environmental Law Center who filed the challenge on behalf of 11 other organizations. When a wetland or a stream gets is protected under the Clean Water Act, what it means is that you can't put a pipe into it and dump pollution into it. It means you can't fill it in without a permit, so you can't just go and build a parking lot. North Carolina is home to 37,000 miles of freshwater streams. Gisler says the lawsuit will be heard in a district court in Charleston, South Carolina, sometime next year. Tim Geswicki of the North Carolina Wildlife Federation, one of the plaintiffs in the case, says repealing parts of the Clean Water Act not only puts North Carolinians' drinking water at risk, but also makes homeowners more vulnerable to flooding by eliminating protections on millions of acres of wetlands. As North Carolina continues to rebuild from last year's and this year's hurricanes and historic flooding, the rollback repeals are especially egregious. We need restored wetlands, streams, and floodplains 
not less protections. Gissler points out that millions of residents living in southern states who rely on drinking water from downstream sources will feel the effects of the rollback the hardest. When those small streams that would have been filtering out pollution are no longer there, then more pollution is going to end up in our big rivers. When those wetlands that would store flood water are not there, we're going to have worse floods. People will, while they may not care, may not know about of the regulatory parts of it, that they'll see the effects. This week, the U.S. Supreme Court will hear oral arguments in a case that considers whether the Clean Water Act regulates pollution discharges that indirectly enter protected waters. The case involves a coral reef off of the Hawaiian coast. For North Carolina News Service, I'm Nadia Ramlagan. George Kent, the Deputy Assistant Secretary of State responsible for Ukraine, criticized Rudy Giuliani. Trump's personal lawyer for engaging what he called a smear campaign against the former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine. That from the Washington Post. They report that Kent testified that Giuliani's assertions and allegations against the former ambassador are without basis, untrue, period. The Post adds that Jennifer Williams, a special advisor to Vice President Pence on Europe and Russia, appeared after being subpoenaed and testified behind closed doors for about five hours. Former National Security Advisor John Bolton declined to appear before the House investigators. A group of 11,000 international scientists, including about a dozen from Arizona, have endorsed a study which concludes the Earth is in a climate emergency. Published this week in the journal Bioscience, the research says greenhouse gas emissions are rising, governments aren't making progress in averting the crisis, and that scientists have a moral obligation to warn about the threat. Brett Blum, a wildlife conservationist at the University of Arizona, says he and others who signed off on the study are frustrated with the lack of progress in dealing with climate change. There's this perception within the scientific community that whatever work you do kind of speaks for itself. There's a very overwhelming body of evidence that doesn't just suggest that climate change is real. It should be indisputable, and, and yet we're still having a debate. Blum says the research identifies key areas in which governments, business, and individuals can make critical changes to slow, if not halt, the onset of climate change. Blum thinks countries need to replace fossil fuels with renewable energy and invest in technology to extract carbon from the atmosphere. Mark Richardson reporting. A victory in court for workers at a community college could have major statewide implications. Workers challenged a district decision to change their work schedules without having them vote on it, as outlined in their contract. The Public Employment Relations Board ruled against the district, and this week the state Supreme Court let that decision stand. Jeff Freitas with the California Federation of Teachers says he hopes this will encourage colleges to respect the rights of the people who serve the students day in and day out. It can set a precedent throughout the state about some back pay and the abuse of wages and benefits for your secretaries, your janitors, your transportation specialists. The change meant that five years ago, people went from working five days a week to four longer days plus a half-day Friday. The same number of hours overall, but no overtime pay on the longer days. Now, Antelope Valley College will have to pay them an estimated $1.5 million in back overtime. Betsy Sanchez, a spokesperson for the college, argues that because the schedules did not exceed 40 hours, no overtime was required. I'm Suzanne Potter. This is PNS. Steam recovery projects are a cornerstone in helping to reduce pollution in the Chesapeake Bay watershed. 
Stream rehabilitation is more urgent than ever, according to Rich Starr, a scientist with ecosystem planning and restoration, who'll give opening remarks at the conference. He says states in the watershed, including Maryland and Virginia, are pushing to fulfill the EPA's mandate to reduce nitrogen, phosphorus, and sediment pollution flowing into the Chesapeake by 60% by 2025. I think it's difficult to say whether we'll achieve it or not, but the more positive thing to look at is the trend is going that way. We are definitely trending towards a healthier bay as a result of the work that's going on. The Baltimore conference comes just a few weeks after Governor Larry Hogan called on Congress to fully fund $85 million of Chesapeake Bay restoration programs in the federal 2020 budget. I'm Diane Bernard reporting. And after winning permanent reauthorization for the Land and Water Conservation Fund, public lands advocates are pressuring leaders in Congress to fully fund the program. A Senate committee set to vote on a permanent funding bill just after Veterans Day. Ed Bowman's with the backcountry hunters and anglers in Texas, and he points out veterans frequently turn to public lands for solace after serving in combat. We need to protect those places even more dearly for the people who have had to endure that hardship of fighting for our country. It's extremely important we make sure that those places are available, have access to them, and that they can go out and enjoy them after they have served our country so bravely. After Congress permanently reauthorized the program back in March, the Trump administration proposed a budget that basically zeroed out the money for the parks. Washingtonians who work the land to provide their neighbors with food are coming together. That is, production season is slowing down. The 45th annual TILTH conference starts today in Yakima, and the focus is on growing a resilient future. Aaron Murphy with the TILTH Alliance, the event organizer, says different tracks for the conference include education around sustainability practices, business planning, and social justice. She says many folks have been coming to the conference since its inception. Farming is also super isolating, especially when you people coming from all over the state. You know, that might be the one time a year that people actually see each other and see their friends and get to catch up and have that solidarity, get to vent about their frustrations, pick people's brains about new ideas. Murphy says the event gathers farmers and farm workers, as well as researchers, educators, and other food system professionals. It runs through Sunday. For Public News Service, I'm Eric Tegadov. Keynote speakers will touch on how to make small farms successful and also revitalizing the coastal food culture for Northwestern tribes. I'm Mike Clifford. Thanks for wrapping up your week with Public News Service. We are member and listener supported and we're online at publicnewsservice.org. Hey, this is Sean with Dying Coffee and you're li- Well, folks, that's everything we got for Eye on the Triangle tonight. I'm going to wrap this up and roll on out. As always, we appreciate you fine people tuning in. Thank you to our live audience who has tuned in to hear our sets. It means a lot to us all here, and we're always happy to hear from you as well. That's right. If you have any burning questions or powerful opinions, hit us up at publicaffairs at wknc.org. We are also accepting applicants if you'd like to become a part of the Eye on the Triangle team. And be sure to check out our blog at wknc-eot.tumblr.com. Our intro music for today's show was... Safe Sacks by Texas Radio Fish. Copyright 2019. License under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial 3.0 License. Stay tuned for usual program of amazing indie music, and we'll see you all again next time. Take care now.